Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and this week for the News Roundup, I am joined by Alicia. Alicia, it's cold. It's wet outside. Apparently it's snowing at some places. It's winter is very much coming. But can you cheer us up with some good news about how the bike industry is very healthy and how everything's going to be great forever? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I'm about to tell you. And also, I need to fill in, you missed when you said it, you said it's cold. It's also dark. It gets dark at like 4 p.m. Yeah. right now, which is hard when you're trying to, you know, bike places in your evening. Daylight saving sucks. Hey, It's a little ridiculous. It, it's so annoying. Yeah. And then you wake up at what you think is a normal time and check and suddenly it's just like you're off by an hour and it just, it doesn't make very I much saw. sense. I saw a really great, I think it's Hard Times News, whatever they are, and they'd done a headline that I wish I'd thought of. <laughs> and it was, um, Punk Show actually starts on time due to like due to confusion <laughs> about daylight savings. And I'd wish I'd done that about mountain oh, bike ride for one of those silly articles. Like, I like that so the much. One, why a mountain? <laughs> what is the intersection between mountain bikers and people that can't keep time? I don't get it, man. It's... Just turn up on time. Just turn up on time, please. Yeah, it's like actually uh. not that difficult. You could also set. So I have a clock in my house. The main one that's the easiest one to see is five minutes fast. And then um, Mm. I have just sort of like recalibrated myself, I guess, to show up on time. Maybe, hopefully. Maybe that makes me not a mountain biker anymore, but I'll accept it. I've been trying to make friends recently and do group rides and all this sort of thing. Oh, good and for it's you, been rough, man! It's been it's been rough. <laughs> I believe it. And I I couldn't. So I had like a couple of days on the bounce where people were always late or meeting in some like you know some meeting like completely the wrong place. Even though you know I thought we'd been quite, you know. And then like fourth day on the bounce, this person was half an hour late. Half an hour. Half an hour. It was like it was like one degree outside. That's like unreasonable. And, um, dude i am um, i left i just i when they got in their car and they went in their kit i was like no <laughs> not today not today i like it i'm not watching you do tire pressures and lube your chain i was like, i'm gone i just so cold and um yeah punctuality of mountain bikers what's up with that just turn up on time turn up early just it's just turn up early if you're gonna be there for nine o'clock that means you gotta be there for like 8 55 yes yeah. This is Sorry, great. I'm, I'm going to start angry. a little club with you, Henry. The... We'll start our own rides and eventually <sighs> invite people just one by one after they prove that they show up at the same time. Be on time. Be on time. Be on is that time. so much to ask? It does my absolute yes, nothing. It, it is so I much to ask, Henry, apparently. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So cheer me up. Be still, my beating heart. Oh, man. I'm getting all worked up. Okay, okay. So what good news have we got? I'll try. I'm not going to go quite to good news yet, but I keep thinking we're done talking about racing and then we're just not and it pops up again. So here we are again. The riders and companies have kind of, well, they're trying to figure out their plans for next year and it seems no one really knows what they're doing, but there are a few worth mentioning. One is that Valley Hole seems to be moving away from her RockShocks Trek setup, which is surprising because we've seen her absolutely crush it and really kind of find her feet in the race world this year. Um, So... We don't know where she's headed yet. No one seems to really know except potentially her, but she hasn't announced. But rumor mill, rumor mill says maybe YT. Yeah, I um, I've heard something something similar. <laughs> not not to confirm or deny, but I think it's interesting. You know, I got the sensation that after she was on that very long term contract signed from a quite young age on YT, I got the sensation that it might have felt 
you know, kind of frustrating from their point of view. They lost her as she then went to do all this winning in elite <laughs> with the track. What a loss. I don't think it's any surprise to see her come back. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I think it could be a really good setup. It'd be interesting to see how that integrates with the current setup of like Oshina Callahan and Shana Hearn, etc. Um, she doesn't have an apostrophe in her surname. I don't know if that's <laughs> going to count for anything. Maybe it's we'll see Valley O'Hall. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I am very curious. Well, I probably won't ever get an answer to this, but I'm interested in what it's like for those companies to sign long-term contracts with writers who are still children, essentially, and then have to grow up and become mm. adults and just haven't really like decided who they're going to be yet or become who they're going to be yet. And they're committed to this partnership that who knows what the fit will be in several years, um, but it's interesting to watch. And yeah, a lot of writers right now are left hanging without teams, with their teams losing funding. And so some whole teams are pulling out of the world level racing, including Ibis GT and Da Vinci um, disbanding their kind of factory teams, especially in the face of all these changes to Enduro right now. And then some teams too will continue, but without the writers we associate with them um, being on the team. And the big one there is Danny Hart. As far as we know, he still doesn't have support for next year. So hopefully he gets something. A rider with his experience is, you know, he's something. And lots of reshuffling for next season. Yeah, I, th- I think that, hmm. I think for all the changes that have been brought about the ESO, I think they're kind of a very convenient fool guy for a lot of the industry who probably don't have much money anyway. You know, they the ESO didn't cause the pandemic. I'm not saying they've done everything perfect and the coverage has been... <laughs> like everything it could have been, et cetera. But largely, like, they can't control a lot of the things. And I think um, we are seeing, listen, f- from the rumours floating about, I think this is tip of the iceberg, <laughs> to be honest with you. Even I think in downhill is going to be quite different as well. And um, and that is down to, it's like, you know, when, you know, the banks collapsed in tw- 20, 2008 mm-hmm. and it wasn't, you know, th- it changed everything so much that, you know, it's just it's just a seismic shift. Yeah, and I think we're seeing something similar. We're seeing a kind of banking crisis, a mountain biking. You know, seriously, and, um, it's no surprise to see teams get cut. Yeah, and kind of along those same lines, we've seen so much financial trouble in the bike industry. Um, we've talked about it before, but the parent company of Nukeproof, Vitas, Wiggle, and Chain Reaction Cycles is having a lot of trouble. And then we've seen kind of a new side of that recently with Fox Factory announcing a 19% revenue drop company-wide in the third quarter this past year and a 58% drop in the company's specialty sports group, which is sort of the the bike-related side of things. So not great for them for sure, but they seem like they're grabbing at whatever they can and they're actually trying to buy the parent company of Lizard Skins, which is actually apparently a baseball and softball company. So not totally bike focused, but hopefully that helps Fox kind of dig themselves out of this hole a bit. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I think statistics, I don't know. I don't know enough about finance. I honestly really don't either, but we make our best guesses here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, is that, 19% 19% revenue drop compared to COVID times because that seems, you know what I mean? Like to be expected. Yeah. But lots of people, I don't know. I think it's, it's all going to be fine. It's funny with the chain reaction thing, you know. Well, I hope it's going to be fine, I should <laughs> say. But with the chain reaction thing, in the UK, I think if this had happened five, six years ago, there'd have been a lot of local bike shops kind of dancing on their grave a bit. 
you know, oh, you took our customers through this internet model, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But I think in the last couple of years, they've woken up to, oh my God, Chain Reaction can carry all the weird stock that we don't want to carry. And you can just order it straight in. And it kind of takes a bit of responsibility off them. So it'd be interesting to think about how um, how that's probably perceived in the local bike shop, the independent bike store, how their relationship with these massive online retailers has changed over the years. Yeah, it's probably, well, definitely weird to be one of them right now. As for the bikes themselves, we've kind of wrapped up the latest field test recently, but as always, we're still not quite done talking about it because those field tests have changed a lot over time. Henry, what was new this time and why are those changes happening? Yeah, absolutely. Field test um, was changed, the format of it this year. And that wasn't so much about... Well, I mean, I, th- I think I think it happened for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we just, we just wanted to provide something that was a lot like tighter in terms of editorial clarity. Those conversations we used to have were great. They were sometimes quite long and rambling and lots of fun. But when you get a 45 minute conversation that you try and condense down to a 10 minute review, it basically takes the editorial control kind of away from the people reviewing the bikes a bit and puts into the hand of the video editors. Now, obviously our video editors, Max, Tom and Stefan, they're amazing riders. They live and breathe mountain biking, but suddenly they're in video mode. They could be trying to basically um choose takes that were clearer maybe not talking about the really important topics so we tried to kind of revamp it and just to add some more clarity add better like structure and yeah some of these maybe could be argued to be said to be you know not so lively and that's something that we're going to build on over time but this was our first attempt we are doing it obviously without levy and you know he is an absolute i bow down to no one he's actually <laughs> so amazing on-screen camera presence seriously yeah and um and we just got we just got to chip away at it. And it's going to get better. There's some things that we learned, some things that we do the same. A lot of things we do different, and that's just part of the game. You know, we just we'll continue to just try try and refine and improve. And um, but there were some really good things. And honestly, like I was stoked at getting this field test out so timely. It's gonna yeah, it's, I'm so happy with it. And I just want to say publicly shout out massively to Max, Tom, and Stefan for getting this all through. Editor Eric, who does the podcast, also jumped in a bit as well. And um, yeah, honestly, I'm just so, so grateful to all of them for all their hard work, as I, as I know that everyone on the editorial team is. Now, with that in mind, we're going to wrap up this little preamble because we have <laughs> what was a really, really fun podcast for me to record. It was actually the first one recorded at MSA with Brooke McDonald. And he was so honest, so straight up and so candid that I think it's a really refreshing take. I mean, you know, the access that all these riders have provided me when asking the questions has been amazing. But I think few are probably happy to fire from the hip so much as Brooke. I've been a fan of Brooke for a long time. I, th- I think we all have. I, Alicia, I made a bit of a faux pas. You're going to hear me cringe inside if you, when you listen to this interview. I'm so excited to hear this. Basically, I was just so eager to just like, you know, I mean, like show that I knew my stuff. And I think I over-egged the pudding at times. And I got confused with Sam Blankensop's wins and Brooks' win. And it all got very embarrassing very quickly. But I soldiered on regardless. I really hope you enjoy this interview. And um, yeah, get in the comments about how you feel this compares to some of how the other riders have to talk about their bikes. And how liberated it was to see Brooke just giving it the beans. Brooke McDonald, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm absolutely stoked. As we were just saying 
off before we start recording, you know, I think the coolest thing about being a media squid is the access that you get to this super cool sport, which we're all really, really passionate about. And, um, and this is definitely one of those cases. Um, always one of the people that I check on the, check on the score sheet straight away. And um, it's, it's great to have you on. There's so much about downhill I want to talk to you about. But in fact, that might tie in nicely with what I want to get started on. I think in some ways you're kind of like a downhill is downhiller. You're aggressive style, tough as shit, like always see me always come back for more and quite like very perseverant. But, and what I suppose I wanted to ask straight off the bat and kind of get into it is when I ride a bike, everyone knows I'm basically one, not very good. And there's no expectation for me to be some absolute pinnacle. We'll always get back up. You're known as this super tough guy, and you're kind of like the photographer's favourite on the course. I wonder what that feels like to you as a racer. Like, what did you feel? There's a bit of expectation to be like the the all-out guy. Well, <clears throat> I guess like I don't know. For for me now, it's just like I'm just riding my bike. Yeah. Um, I guess probably when I was like in my earlier days um you know like being on the on the the pink bike and vital stories from from each day was always like a for me like an indication of that i was riding good and you know those sort of things but i guess for now like you know my main focus is obviously racing and yeah, if we can, you know, the f- photographers can get cool photos. That's a, that's a bonus. But um, I don't know. I think it's just a a normal thing for me now. Yeah. Like I, I remember like when I was on Trick World Racing, and we had like Greg Williamson on there, and he literally like he is w- so talented, and and all he was worried about was what the photos looked like at the end of the day from uh, from the photographer. And I think like. I don't know. I feel like his, yeah, like he was just so worried about how mm. he looked and what he looked like on the bike. He was always wanting to to see the photographers, and I think we got to like to the to a point where we actually set him down, and we were like, "You don't need to worry about what you look like. Like, just worry about going fast on the bike." And um, this was in like I think uh, I think it was Mary Bell, maybe twenty. 15 yeah and yeah the next day he went out and got 10th place like yeah. you know just just those small things i think probably when you start racing bikes that's that's probably the biggest thing you worry about is because that's all you see when you do when you're not racing bikes and you're watching world cups is you know all these riders top riders on photos and you're like that's where i want to be one day and i think when you turn up to world cups and that's like where you want to be so you're kind of like expecting to be on there yes um but yeah i guess for me now it's just because i've been doing it for so long it's just a normal thing to see myself on there and it's like i still get that feeling of like when i'm on there i'm like okay well i must be riding good for them to put me on there you know it's always i feel like there's always like a little bit of confidence boosting when you do see photos of yourself on the on the internet but it, it's a bit weird as well i think that downhill is such a one of the cool things about downhill is so many people can turn up give it a go there are so many you know i mean if you look at i mean a great example someone like ronan dunn two three years ago probably 
a lot of people maybe wouldn't have expected have had such a quick ascendancy to now being a multiple podium rider. Yeah. Um, but I think also it's difficult because you can be kind of, I mean, it's, it's such a small margin to having that breakthrough. And I think sometimes the only type of, maybe not, maybe validation would be too strong a word, but the only kind of recognition you get is not necessarily in the results because it's just so tight yeah, and it's so difficult. But actually people seeing the photos and being like, wow, that person's, you know, really on it or doing something cool or taking a line choice that's different is like, I know maybe it kind of helps, helps cover some of the patches of how brutal downhill can be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just because I think sometimes it's, I don't know. I mean, it feels like with you, there's kind of been, when you say there's been like, because there was that, you know, you won a World Cup quite early on. Was that 08? Uh, 12. 12. Oh, 12. Was it 12? 2012. Yeah. Oh shit, I'm getting, getting confused. But then you had, <laughs> because then you kind of had a couple of quiet years, but then you came back for that Croatia. I remember you going, you were just on a tear there. I think you seeded first and that would have been 2018. Yeah, like <clears throat> when I left Trek, obviously I had two two years where I really struggled at GT. Mm. Um, I didn't get along with the bike. So, and like, I think like, in our racing, the bike is probably 80% of what gives you the performance and, and like the confidence and the trust. Like it's, I think everything to do with the bike then and now is so important. Like, mm. you know, obviously you still got to be a great rider, but I feel like the equipment has to be the best of the best because I feel like when you have something under you, you, you have to trust you have to put everything all your trust into it and if you don't have that then that trust falls away and you really yeah. like i got to a point where i really didn't know what was going to happen in my runs like it was it, i felt like i got to a point where it was just dangerous to go fast because i didn't know what was going to happen so yeah those two years at gt i really struggled and then i yeah went back to ms mondraker um and like obviously i've ridden that bike before so it'd been like you know i think probably f yeah f five years in between so obviously re a lot of stuff had changed bikes you know suspension wheel sizes um so yeah like i just hopped on that bike and instantly felt comfortable and as soon as i feel comfortable on something i know that i can be a threat yeah um and like I still feel like to this day I can still be a threat. I still feel like I can be a top 10, potentially a podium guy, but I just feel like I have to have the right equipment and something that can give me confidence and trust. So yeah, like that first year on uh, Mondraki, I qualified first in Croatia. Um, and I like to say I, I feel like I would have won if I didn't crash, mm. but um, yeah, those things happen. Nice. And then, yeah, I had two great years. Um, yeah, like eighteen and nineteen were really good, two solid like consistent seasons. And then, uh, yeah, obviously we had COVID and we got a new bike. Um, and the development of the new bike went really fast. Like we went from an alloy to a carbon basically like i think yeah 20 we did four races on the alloy bike so we didn't really have a whole heap of time and and testing on that and then 
they went basically straight into production of a carbon bike and we didn't really have much of a say on how we felt on the alloy so yeah basically once a carbon's done there's not much changing there so yeah basically from i mean like i had some some okay results in like 21 and 22 was was pretty average but like for four years i've really struggled with the bike and mm. just obviously coming off the injury that i had like i just you know um felt like i really needed to have something that i could trust and be confident with mm. um and i just really haven't had that and it's it's been um yeah it's been a real roller coaster over four years like i've it's yeah put me into like some dark places yeah. and like you know really doubting myself whether i'm still fast enough to race mountain bikes i'm still whether i'm still good enough like do people still like watching me yeah. you know all that sort of stuff and it's like especially over four years it's it's pretty tough Brutal. and like to just keep going year in and year out is it's been like really hard to i guess just have the motivation to be able to go on the off season and like bring yourself back to you know having the excitement to go racing again like i i felt like for two three years i did that but i just got to a point where i felt like all the hard work i was putting in there was like you know we weren't getting anything out of it like we weren't getting a new bike we weren't being able to develop mm. you know um some different stuff to maybe help you know reduce the problems we were having with the old bike so it's just yeah it's been it's been uh been really tough and when we talk about bike development you know you must have gone to gt and i suppose you sort of inherited that bike from the athertons i suppose how i mean not to not to talk about any one brand in particular obviously well, talk as much as you want but how receptive are these brands to feedback because like when i when i worked for polygon they actually outsourced all their development so you could tell polygon all you wanted it didn't it didn't really matter it was had a separate design team similarly when i was working with pink bike racing last year santa cruz were like seemed like genuinely interested and i think the the cultural impact that had was huge the people just feel like they've been listened to yeah or, like explanations at gt that bike not not being to your liking was that something they were receptive to were they like trying to make a point or was it just like well it was good enough for the athertons fucking deal with it yeah i guess like i guess i had the approach to that team with the fact of the results that the, the athertons have on that bike so i thought it was going to be a good bike but obviously being such a different rider to g i feel like my riding style didn't really suit that bike and i know the I know like Wynn and Sandale and um and Martin like we all struggled really hard with that bike probably m more more less for Martin because he that's basically the bike he grew up on so he yeah. kind of you know didn't know better um and I was coming from Trek so I was coming from a pretty good bike and like yeah the first year I got to the end of the season I'm like I just couldn't ride this bike I was like really considering like what do we do here like i just didn't feel like we i don't know we weren't really being listened to like i felt like being such a big company there could have been quick development into a new bike and then like obviously the second year with it we s rode the same bike 
And then, like, they had a mule built um, probably, like, close to the end of the season. And we went and, um, we went and tested Was that. that. the silver one you had in Queen? I remember you had a Queenstown Bike Park one that looked like it didn't have... It looked like nah, it missed the link. Was that, yeah, was that just literally yeah, we the link took out? The, we took the link out, mm. um, obviously just to reduce a little bit of stiffness. Um, but that didn't change a whole heap on that bike. But yeah, like the bike that they have now, bef- the one before that was the one that I tested. Oh, right. Um, and then, yeah, I come to the end of my contract and at, uh, year, at year two. And I was basically like do you like are you guys going to be able to provide me a bike on this day you know because i didn't really want to go into the season well i didn't want to go into like the new year and not have a bike before world cup so i was like if you know like are you guys going to be able to provide a bike for me by this day and they're like no so yeah we parted ways um but yeah just i guess being such a big company it's super hard to Mm um i guess get them to understand that development in the sport is is so massive and like having a good bike really benefits the riders yeah i mean i think you saw with maybe i mean common could be a good example that that first 650b high idler supreme they did what v it was whatever maybe v3 or something but it felt like it had good suspension but it was just so small and then relatively quick turnaround then suddenly, and they've been riding off those coattails for years now, right? Yeah. That. And that's, that's, that's like, I guess that just shows you how involved they are in the sport and like how passionate they are about it. And I think that's the best way to go about it because I think the only way you can develop a good bike is taking riders feedback and listening to the riders because it's so important. They, you know, I feel like some engineers get caught up in, in the fact that they've designed this bike and they've designed it, they've ridden it, but they're not riding at the speeds that we ride at and how aggressive and how hard we ride it. So it's like you can't really compare to making a bike that works for the consumer and also making it work for us. Yeah, and you also bike races don't happen in CAD. <laughs> no. You know, there's some things that just from a product review side sometimes to be honest, i'm quite taken aback by providing feedback in a review and people just straight up denying it yeah yeah and it can be stuff stuff that's like like maybe like a catastrophic failure and what normally happens is you write the review and then you basically just give them a right response yeah and um sometimes they'll just be like no it just it didn't happen it didn't happen like that and you'll be like when well, i don't want to throw it under the bus but like recently had a um a tire that just deflated like so spontaneously like came off the rim really like, so, yeah and um and it was interesting the fact that it wasn't like oh my god i'm so sorry that happened to you well then they did say they did apologize that happened yada 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 but how it was like a personal thing yeah it gets real personal yeah. and if like i'm not like you know I'm, i feel like you have to be honest and yeah. like if you tell an engineer that their bike doesn't work like i feel like they get personal about it and it's not like we're telling them that it's a bad bike. We're just saying that it doesn't work for us. Yeah. And like, it doesn't work for the level of riding we're riding it. It might, it, it might work great for someone who's riding a bike park, riding in a bike park, but. 
but you know we're riding 10 times faster than you yeah right? oh yes totally i mean it's yeah, definitely a different world for you guys i think it's i think it's hard because sometimes i think people work in the bike industry and they accept that you know they're not going to get maybe the money they could do engineering in other places what yada 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 but they get to make their baby yeah yeah and they're incredibly passionate which yeah. is so sick and yeah it's cool in the, in the case of those tires you couldn't fault how passionate and into it they were yeah you couldn't fault it at all but it's also really hard because you're not there to shoot their dog you're not there to say like well i'm here to ruin your days it's and yeah, yeah you're from, only being honest yeah like that's, and i feel like honesty is the best way you yeah. can go about things like you know i'd hate for someone to come to me and tell me that the bike that i design is great and it works great but on paper i'm looking every weekend they're you know the 50th place mm. you know i'd hate that i'd rather someone tell me that this is not working for me this is what we need to change instead of taking it pers personal i mm. think you really need they really need to understand the feedback that we give them and they probably do but you know i feel like i've had pe engineers where, where they've taken it personal and told mm. you know the team that yeah why why is this why are they struggling with this bike we can ride this bike good it feels good for us but that's totally different because we're on such different playing fields and also you're extracting so much performance out of a bike but how to put this i think because you guys ride at such a high level and you ride you know the racetrack or your test track or whatever and you're executing the same lines like when you're offline, it's probably the best I've ever ridden my online. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so, like, you feel the differences so yeah, much yeah, more because it's just so, the inputs are so precise. Yeah, and when you, yeah, like, yeah, I just feel like the, the bike is everything. Mm. Like, I watch, like, I watch Bruni and, like, I feel like he's, those guys are a prime example of how they have a bike set up because, like, for me, watching him, it's like he's cheating. He's just yeah, literally, yeah, the, it's crazy. Wild. Like he literally just sits on the bike, and it's like he's an <laughs> autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his his chassis is so stable, and the wheels. But it feels like they've gone down this route of being like, we don't really care about conserving geometry. We just want a really consistent head tube height throughout, no matter what the chatter. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you guys have you? Because you work with Jake Island. Yeah. And he's you know suspension was. Are you? What kind of, how would you describe your suspension setup and how has it changed over the years? Because it feels like 10 years ago it was running people running quite hard and they've become softer and yeah, faster over the years. Yeah, because I guess like tracks have got faster so we need like, I know it probably, the bike probably works better when it's softer because we're, all we're doing is looking for traction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for me this year, like I've, to be honest, like suspension, like it is definitely one of the important things but we also uh, we as a team we've also struggled with finding the right setup on the bike because we literally got the bike two weeks before mm. lens hider so we tested it in leo gang and um we were like yep feels good um we were all pretty happy with it and then you know the more the more we progressed and went to different tracks and stuff like that the more we noticed that this wasn't working and we probably need to change this just the fact that we haven't had enough time to actually you know ride the bike and and change stuff and find the actual you know perfect reach and the 
you know, like the the flip chips and the bottom bracket and, mm. you know, so on to actually find out, okay, this is a good base setting or base, you know, somewhere we can base off of for the bike and then we can change it for different tracks. So, you know, we just haven't had the, the possibility to do that. And I feel like when you don't have the possibility to do that, for me, I feel like most weekends well basically every weekend it's like i'm coming into a, a test weekend and i'm yeah. literally it's so hard to do changing season, the right? bike to try and find or fine tune or find the comfiest setting for me where i'd way rather be trying to focus on my speed and and my lines and then by the time i come to you know like qualies and if i even make it through qualies i'm my i'm so, my energy is so zapped because mm. i've put so much into trying to figure out on day one what i am comfortable with and like getting up to speed and pushing and it's just there's just so much to it and i feel like when you can eliminate that then all you have to worry about is literally literally riding the track riding your line and going fast like you know like i just remember when i was you know had a bike that i was happy with and that i was com confident and comfy with you know like from one track to the other, I feel like I would literally only change and adjust small bits to the fork and shock, and I was good to go. So, like, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, there's so much involvement in the bike and how it works. Do you think, because I've always found it strange in, how to put it, sponsorship in mountain biking is a strange thing because I've, I spoke about it before on the podcast but it's a lot like the comparison about being like single in a relationship. Lots of people that are single want to be in a relationship, but some of the people in relationships actually want to be single. Yeah. It's the same with privateers and supported. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that some of the pro riders in the circuit are looking at maybe what Nico's doing with his frameworks with a degree of maybe envy? Like, fuck, he didn't have, the, there was no consideration of how that bike's going to sell or who that, or whether that bike is going to be okay for the average Joe. Yeah. It's just a unbridled racing program. I guess, um, yeah, I guess like it depends on your team and your environment um, because I feel like that's a huge part of being in a team is is just having everything flow smoothly for an athlete because, you know, at the end of the day, you literally just want to turn up here and race your bike and focus on putting down, you know, a potentially race mm. winning run. And like if you think about the lead up to that and how you're prepared and how everything in the environment of the team is gone that has a massive effect on on your weekend and i feel like that's so important and i feel like the less stress that you have and you know that sort of stuff leading into a weekend is so important and it just makes your weekend so much easier because you just have one thing to focus on mm. You don't have like multiple other things that are going on and like, you know, like, I don't know, just for, ex I guess like, you know, timing and yeah. amount of people on your team. Like when you have so many people on your team, it, it conserves so much energy from everyone because you're, you know, like discussing about where we're going and how we're yeah. getting there and what time we're all leaving. And does one pe person make the decision for 15 other people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like. You know, I guess probably there are some people that envy privateers, but then again, being a privateer, I guess like 
you want to have a mechanic, you want to have a team manager, and also being able to have, you know, the, yeah, ha not having the stresses to race a bike, like, it's so important. But, um, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's hard. We've got this kind of pink bike racing thing going, and hopefully you know helps nurture some young young riders and coming through whatever but it's hard getting just the right amount just the right size of the team yeah because you don't want it to become a circus no you know it's and there's something to be said for having something smaller that's more agile yeah and it's funny because you know you see i don't know i mean maybe actually mondrake has arguably got the nicest pits in europe but also it's the hardest to set up as just an example yeah, yeah. and um i think sometimes like having just like a couple of easy ups and this that the other the, the polygon pits used to be horrific to set, and you lose a day yeah yeah up the pits yeah and and the people get tired and all yeah. this business yeah um so we're in north america at the moment we're at msa and obviously we don't have all that to concern about all the pits no. that are back in europe just for you what's it like coming back here i mean it must be a crazy place and in the years since that injury do you think things have got better for getting riders off the hill um yeah i guess for me coming back here it's just another bike race yeah. Same as every other time I've come to Mount St. Anne. I guess probably the, yeah, was it a year or two that we didn't actually come here for racing because of COVID? Um, probably helped a lot. I feel like it would have probably been a lot different if I had come here the following year. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just, just another just bike another race. Place. Yeah, just one. another place. Yeah. Obviously, um, yeah, it's always going to hold a special place in my heart because it's where, you know, I almost lost my career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, what was the, sorry, what was Do it? you think that because of the, the time there was some criticism about the way they were getting riders off the course? Yeah. Do you think that's improved? Um, or, I mean, it's hard to guess, you know. Yeah, I guess it is hard to guess because I haven't really, I don't know, it's not, I guess there's probably... Haven't hasn't really been any other. Did the UCI speak to you to get your feedback on? Mm. You know, we, we talked about feedback to brands. Did not really, not really. That's nah. maybe a bit disappointing. Do you think? Yeah, like I, I feel like I wanted, like I definitely voiced my opinion of putting a procedure in place. Like Europe, I think we're pretty safe there because, like. You know, they obviously the ski resorts we go to, they have pretty easy access to helicopters. So, like, I mean, Leger, for example, they literally had a heli sitting there the whole weekend, um, you know, a K down the road waiting for literally just there waiting yeah. for wow. people to be lifted off the hill, which is amazing. And the fans at night, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of falling off a roof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know, like, I heard last weekend when uh, Dean Lucas had that, that massive crash, I heard that he was, um, he was taken off the hill on the back of the, in the stretcher on the back of the quad, which, you know, wow. with someone who can't feel from their chest down is definitely not a good way to, yeah. to um, take someone off the hill, and that's exactly what they did to me here, well, they tried to, Um but yeah, I don't know, like, I've, you know, there's actually, there's, I don't even know if there's a, you know, 
feel like you need a specific doctor. You need to pay a doctor to come in, uh, yeah, uh, come and travel around. God, yeah, with us the whole season. Like, you know, like what is I don't know what is one hundred and fifty, two hundred k a year to have a doctor or two to actually be able to overview the people that are actually putting on the show. Like, you know, we are the ones that are making all of this happen. Yeah. And like, you know, our health is, is number one. Like if you, I feel like, yeah. But also money is, money is, is not a issue when it comes to health. Like that's the most important thing. And like being able to have someone that, you know, is on call and at the bottom of the, the hill and you know marshals are informed that like you know before they go up if someone crashes in front of you and you see them on the ground and they're knocked out um they get sent straight to the doctor and the doctor checks them and like you know they have like stuff where they can you know give you a rough idea of you know whether you've broken your wrist or you have a concussion like to be honest snowshoe like i sat on the chairlift with with um with Kai who had a crash in his um in his semis and they had a a guy who was like doing concussion tests on him which was you know that was great to see but yeah. you know I think it's just the consistency that we need like you know for example Ludenville like Ronan and and Chris Cummings they had massive crashes there and like you know they weren't like that I don't know if they were even I checked there Ronan was out in his race run in Ludenville, he kept when he came with that crest. Oh, for sure. Like he looked, he, you know, when they go, people go that bit limp. Limp, yeah, yeah. It's a bit, it's gnarly. Yeah, but it's weird because downhills. I think in, well, firstly, I completely agree with what you said. I think you're doing it as a, this is your job, yeah. and everyone should be able to expect to go to work, and there should be enough precautions in place to make sure everyone's going to come home as safe as possible. Yeah, you know? yeah. But also, I think downhills in a really strange place, and that, I mean, I think that you can't fault. I think there's some things about some teething problems, et cetera, et cetera, with how this year has been. But I think the ESO and Discovery do have a lot of ambition for turning discover, um, turning downhill into something like more professional. However, it feels like downhill's in this sort of like no man's land. Yeah. Where it's like amateur in some ways, professional in others. And sometimes it feels like the burden to adapt to that or to the compromise falls on the riders, which is the last people it should fall on, I would yeah, argue. Yeah, 100%. Like- I, th- I think it's crazy in EWS, you sticker your wheels to say you can't go through too many rims but you can go out and cr- crack a helmet and just get another one. You yeah. Know? Like that yeah, seems kind of crazy like to me. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just like, you know, we had some races last year where our juniors were getting, um, you know, clocked on the head or whatever. And they were seeking our advice and our advice, obviously to on the safe side of caution, but yeah. we're not like, I'm a mechanic, dude. I, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to concussions. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. And to try and even approach that, I didn't even have like the articulation to understand like I've had knocks on the head, but talking to a sixteen-year-old who wants to make it the most thing, the most passionate about, like yeah. I know it. It felt really weird not to. No, have, it's like, hard. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely hard to tell someone that I that you shouldn't be riding when mm. they feel okay. They've just hit their head and seen a bit of stars. Like yeah, you know, it's like I guess it's like any sport. We just carry on, but yeah. like I think it's the it's in the long run, like the the after effect. Like when you stop racing and you've had multiple concussions. But it's like, like, you know, Rugby World Cup players yeah. who won the, there's a guy called Stu Thompson who won the 2003 World Cup and he can't remember it. He yeah. has no idea. 
That's and it's mad. gnarly. Yeah, it's that's scary. Scary. Really scary. And you don't you don't want to be in a position like that. Yeah. And I think like it's so important looking after Yeah, I guess looking after us, like I know yeah, I just know that like yeah, from looking at rugby players and, and those guys are the, probably the worst of people that have had like multiple head knocks and also that have problems after mm. their career and i know like for a long time in that sport there wasn't anything to do with concussions it was like just take them off the field and then put them back on the next <laughs> yeah. the next week yeah. and now they have a protocol where i think they they get a head knock they get tested and then they have to be tested again and then they get ruled out and when they're ruled out they get ruled out yeah. for a certain amount of weeks well, or yeah i think especially like at this at this time of year how many riders are looking for contracts right now? And if they so knock their head in, head in the head in practice, and but they've got maybe a day to hopefully get themselves a deal for next yeah, year. Yeah, unknown. Then also, like as a team manager, I don't think a team manager it's possible, even with the best will in the world, to give truly impartial advice. No, because by your very nature, you're not an impartial. You have a bias, right? You want the team to do well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, it's just being an athlete. Like that's the last thing you think of is like oh yeah I've knocked my head but I'm just going to carry on mm. like because you're in that racing mentality it's yeah. like yeah you just don't don't think about it and I think if we're probably brutally honest I think if you didn't have that racing mentality you probably wouldn't have got the way you know what I mean yeah exactly there's got to be a certain disregard for, 100%. and it's almost encouraged right yeah um, and now I think like now I think because of like the way I think like Tane was a prime example of actually putting concussions out there and, and really made it clear what it can do to you. Yeah. And I think that like, I think it's really probably opened a lot of people's eyes in the way of like actually, okay, I actually have to deal with this, deal with it properly, not just get on my bike the next day and, and ride like it. You, you really have to, take care of it because i mean look look at how it put tane like mm. she was in a bad place and the same with with miriam as well it's like you know it's great to see those guys putting in you know the work that actually needs to be put in to get back from something so brutal like that it's it's not easy and i i you know not speaking from experience experience but like from seeing what tane went through and just like talking to her dad and talking to her, like it just, it sounds horrible. It sounded awful. It yeah. doesn't sound like a position that you want to be in and it's something that you really want to take care of. Um, you know, we, we spoke about juniors and kind of bringing them up through the ranks. When you were coming through, juniors originally, because was, was Mondrake your first elite team or were you? Uh, nah, like uh, MS Evil was. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have any kind of role model people that kind of took you under your wing as you come into the, to the ranks? And is that something that you've been able to do with maybe Tahuto and in Mondraker? Yeah, I guess like um, <clears throat> obviously like the role models that I looked up to were obviously like Minar, PD, Hill. Um, but more so being on Evil the first year um, for me was like you know, I was on a team with Stevie Smith and Luke Strobel and Philip Polk. Like Luke Strobel, of course. Yeah, yeah like three, good. three fucking amazing riders. So, like, 
I had three great role models to look up to and I felt like, you know, that was a place that really put me in a put me in a position for where I am now. Like I had yeah, three great people that I looked up to that were great writers, um, and that I learned a lot off of, especially like Philip Polk who had been around a long time then, same with Luke Strobel and, and Stevie was kind of just like coming on to the scene. But yeah, I was I was I felt like I was very fortunate to have those people involved in, you know, the start of my career and um yeah, lucky luckily enough to have, you know, um yeah, just good ra- good right ra- good all round riders around me that I could ride with because it was my first year on Elite. So like it was, you know, wasn't wasn't stressful because like in my junior years I raced with Elite, so it was just it felt normal for me, but you know, like I felt like transitioning into elite with those people around me were really good. Mm. And um, looking back to that, how, how do you feel now with a degree of hindsight, having that World Cup win relatively early in your career? Do you think it was because you know you see it a lot sometimes? The fact there was that really good uh, Reese Wilson film where he talked about like once he won World Champs, kind of like knowing the speed a bit. And suddenly knowing like what a safe one was when before he would have been on his absolute limit just to, to get that. Do you think that gave you a good degree of confidence knowing that you could do it and you did have it inside you? You just had to maybe get on the right bike at the right time and, and put the other pieces together. But when it came down to it, you do have the raw speed. Yeah. Or do you think it, or do, how do you feel about it? Do you, no, or do you think in some ways it was a bit of like a spectre hanging over No, you? I definitely, f- like, obviously that was a long time ago and like, you know, when you win a world cup some say as far back as 2008 yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you win a world cup all you you know that's the best thing that you can do and all you want to do after that is chase more wins and you know in hope of of a world cup title um so yeah i guess for me it was like just putting it all together like it's so it's so easy but also so hard at the same time to put it all together like I feel like I definitely have been a a consistent writer throughout my career obviously with some some years where I've struggled but like just thinking it going you know like going back and thinking about it like just compared to now it's like so much harder like you know I'd do a run come down from a run and you know I'd be like oh that was a that was a pretty average run, but I'd be like eighth place, you know, like, oh yeah, I made a mistake here, a mistake here. And now you can't do that. Like, you know, like I, I'm coming down and like feeling like I've had a pretty good run and, you know, just scraping in to qualify. Mm. Um, but that's often, people talk about, because we review a lot of bikes, people often say, you know, what makes a good bike, this, that, and the other, but often a bad bike, you just feel like you're going faster, but just because you're fucking scared. Yeah, And you're getting bounced off line, and you feel so loose, and it'll be something that is not actually very quick. No, and then not a bike that's, that's exact, comfortable. That's, yeah. like the, that's the perfect way to sum up how I feel now. Yeah. I, I'm honestly scared riding my bike, yeah. because I feel... And like I said, it's exhausting to Like I'm going to be, fast, but I don't know, like I feel like I'm uncontrollable when I mm. do start going fast. And it's scary, and it's not... like. It, it's a horrible position to be in because like 
you know, I don't, I go into my run and when I start pushing, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have that confidence to tell myself that, you know, like I can go around this corner and not have an issue without my front sliding out or, you know, I can go into the section and know where I'm actually going to end up. Um, that's the scary part. And that's like the last four years, the position I've been in and mm. like, it's a horrible position to be in because like in my head, I'm telling myself I want to go faster, but I'm just, I'm at the absolute limit mm. of how fast I can go because I'm just to a point where I don't actually know what's going to happen. And, and it's so not like I feel like I've run out of writing talent it just feels like i've run out not run out of confidence but i've just i don't have that there mm. but i think especially if we look at tracks i mean i think maybe valdisol particularly last year then i know they changed a bit this year but for listeners at home it's like the hardest section of your local trail your local downhill track but consistently and every single track technical section linked up together and if yeah, you think about like three and a half minutes three and a half minutes if yeah. you think about you know, last time that you went left the door with two PSI over you and you didn't like it. Dude, like bike setup is so important and it's, yeah. you know, do you think w w if we look back over the last couple of years, when do you think was like vintage, you know, the future notwithstanding and I hope, you know, you kind of get, get the bike sorted and everything comes to good. But when do you think you were riding best? Cause sometimes you may be riding best at the time when the bike is worse, but people just don't see it, but you have to be absolutely ringing it for all it's worth just to do results that people might think are not that noteworthy, but you're like, you see it, I mean, maybe it's an example, but you see it in Formula One, like Fernando Alonso in these years at Ferrari was like outperforming massively. And it looked like he was just, you know, just another driver, but actually compared to what other machinery, you know, he didn't have. Yeah. I think probably like 18, 19 was yeah. like where I felt great. Like I could actually, put together you know run like qualifying run at say 95 percent and be inside the top 10 and know that i had more to go for finals mm -hmm. and even in finals like you know i could have moments in my run where i felt like it was sketchy but or it might have looked sketchy but it wasn't for me and i think those like that's when you know you've got good equipment and a good working bike um like yeah probably probably 18 and 19 and and you know probably yeah like middle of 21 when i started to realize like how the bike was performing like also tires as well like tires is a massive yeah. massive thing on the bike because that's your first point of contact and i feel like if you don't have a tire that works with the ground that's also something so important that is going to give you feedback into the bike and how the bike's working as well. Um, yeah, that's Those the two. probably the two that stand mm -hmm. out for me. Obviously, you know, years on trick as well were, were great as well. You know, just hop on my bike and ride it mm -hmm. and it worked good. Yeah. Um, do you think that in recent years, the tracks have kind of, it feels like maybe they hit their, the high or low point, depending which way you see it, in like 2017 when tracks were getting more and more bike parky and they've really moved away from that now. Do you think tracks are coming back, well, towards your preference? Do you think that modern tracks are actually pretty good? Do you think that maybe actually prefer something, because some of them seem really high-paced as well. Oh, yeah, way too fast. Yeah, some of them way seem too fast. Like a bit, I don't know, maybe a bit. I like the riding that's like, 
you can take big risk but low consequences because it's just slower yeah but yeah that's what we need yeah. like we actually need proper downhill riding like this year i think probably like ludenville and here are probably two bike two races two tracks really good tracks that stick out for me mm-hmm. and the others are just bike park like go as fast as you can yeah. on the same line as everyone else and i feel like it's just a massive risk like you know like andorra it's so high speed like you come off and well, one, you know like track. a small just being offline a small bit the consequences are way bigger to having a track that is a much slower mm-hmm. but you can have a bigger risk like you said like you know a bigger risk on a off camber high line whereas like a low line might not be as fast but the high line will be faster but the risk yeah. of taking that and holding it it's going to be a much higher than going low you know yeah, yeah. and i just think that we need to like yeah i think people love watching everyone go super quick and be on the same line but for me coming from the sport where it's like where i started was like you know legit downhill like proper downhill tracks and just like you know multi-choice lines and off camber not as fast like i feel like probably mount st Anne was the fastest track it was yeah when i like i don't know back in you know like yeah probably like when i started racing in 2009 like well, for a long time it was considered yeah. like the the piece section was like yep. holy shit this is the fastest you'll see yeah. these riders go all year and that was sick yeah because it was like yeah we come to a track which has a fast bit of, bit of track in it but i think all tracks now are just one consistent speed and that speed is really high and i think it's just like it's just going to take one small mistake for it to be fatal well, especially in somewhere like snowshoe like i mean i, don't, I know like it was flatter with yada 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 but how to put this i think it was cool that it was i love the tech aspect yeah but it just some of it felt like fuck you just see people just like clip a pedal and go so fast into so many different things yeah yeah it seemed quite well no i mean i, I mean fun to ride hard our to race, sport maybe. is obviously downhill when we yeah. you know it's what it's about but like feel like we can definitely there's like a lot to be eliminated like a lot of obviously the, it's a risky sport but you know like we want to be calculate a calculated risk mm-hmm. not a risk where you're just literally going as fast as you can and hoping for the best like because we're on such a small line and like i said i, th- I feel like it's just going to take one small mistake and it could be could be fatal yeah which is no good and that's you know we don't we don't want that and i feel like we need to go back to tracks that were like the og stuff like the proper yeah downhill stuff like you know like go to schlabming and actually build a proper track not just go and ride bike park stuff Mm. like leo gang you know we just go there and it's just a bike park like Mm. there's not much to that same with lenzerheider and so if we you know if i can rub the lamp you can have any downhill track style that you wanted i've heard sort of rumors that new zealand at coronet is prying for a track um if you could have a world cup and it could be in new zealand where would you want it on north island or south island and where, where do you think with the best world cup venue new zealand would be because queenstown would, would be good i mean skyline has probably got some skyline, good stuff in there definitely not coronet peak because it's just a bike park and it's like it's 
just turns. Yeah. And I feel like you need to do a lot of work to add a lot of stuff in for yeah. it to be a proper World Cup track. It would be a and spectacular I, venue, but I know what you mean. Oh, it'd be a great venue, but I don't. I wouldn't want to go there and just race down the same line everyone else is yeah. on, you know? Um, I think, uh, man, I think Rotorua, for sure, you could definitely build something insane there. Like, they've got a great hill, and the dirt there is, is so sick. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, probably probably Skyline would be the best. Um, obviously, they've got a pretty sick hill there, and it's nice and steep, too. Um, I think that's probably that would probably be the best option. Maybe I think Christchurch potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great to see a World Cup. Get yeah, to it'd, New be, it'd, it'd be it'd be amazing. So cool. like to see early season, do like Aussie, New Zealand, New Zealand, like East first Asia. Leg. Yeah, you could literally go from New Zealand to Australia yeah, to East so Asia cool. to Europe. It, I mean, it's it's and that, then it would be a World Cup. Then it would be a World Cup. Right? <laughs> then it would be a World Cup. <laughs> We're literally just racing a European series with a holiday in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where we go to. Canada and America yeah. and that's what classes it is as, as a World Cup and also it's, it's because it's I know we obviously do come over here but it's the European side there's a lot of Canada and America if you just carry on going yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's so much potential here like there's so much potential you could have two three four races here yeah yeah cool right well let's fingers crossed for a New Zealand World Cup see yeah. you later and thank you so much for coming on man no really worries thank it. you very much for having me And we're back. So that was Brooke McDonald talking in quite amazing detail about some of the bikes he's ridden over the years and talking about what he needs as an athlete, as well as, you know, that kind of where the sport is compared to, I think, 2019 when he suffered that really bad crash at MSA. Um, now, the last thing we'll say about field test is actually something that one of you is going to say about field test because we did the very exciting high speed test. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam, Addy Kim? Andy, 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 Andy Kimmen, something like Andy that. Andy made the great point that we should have had Kaz do it and called it the Kami Kazuma, which is so true. What were we thinking? <laughs> we're just honestly, Jesus. But we're going to our music corner now. Alicia, what is your music corner suggestion? Oh man, my music corner suggestion. I have actually suggested it before, but that recording never went live. So I'm just going to double down and say that the NPR Tiny Desk concert with Hermanos Gutierrez is excellent. I hmm. Slight admission is that I freeze up a little bit every time I start to say their name. They're a duo of two brothers. Um, they're both excellent musicians, but I don't know whether to call them the Hermanos Gutierrez, Los Hermanos Gutierrez, or just Hermanos Gutierrez, because I've heard them, I think I've, I hear them introduce themselves in live performances as Los Hermanos Gutierrez, but then like, I'm some like white girl in Bellingham who I don't feel that qualified to really say anything in any other language. Um, well, but yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm making so, a meal of people's names is something of a pink bike pastime. Yeah, you know, it's, but I would like... It's, it's part of who we are. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to pull myself out of that identity as much as I can. D- stop. It might be hopeless. No, embrace it. It might be embrace hopeless. Embrace it. <laughs> anyway, the duo known as Hermanos Gutierrez. They're excellent. Check them out. Excellent. <laughs> and my suggestion is going to be um, a cover of the Clash song Guns of Brixton by Matil. 
And it's just nice. She's got these kind of haunting vocals and I really like it. And, um, and we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to another week of the Pink Bike Podcast and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.